Ah, motherhood. One minute, your mom of the year. I love you, mommy. Then the next? Mm, not so much. From bath time to bullying, from potty training to puberty, parenting is full of challenges. But one thing is for certain, you are not alone. Welcome to Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, author, mother, parenting expert, Tara Clark. Join me while we tackle today's Modern Mom Problems. Welcome to another episode of Modern Mom Probs. I'm your host, Tara Clark. Today, I am joined by Katherine Perlman, PhD. She's the author of a new book called First Phone, A Child's Guide to Digital Responsibility, Safety, and Etiquette. She is a licensed clinical social worker, founder of The Family Coach, and has been helping families for more than 25 years. Catherine, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So today we're going to be discussing prepping our children for their first phones and the responsibility that comes with it. Now, this is a topic that really resonates with me because I have a nine and a half year old son who loves screen time as it is. And so when I read your book, I was like, I need to talk to Catherine about this and we need to dive deeper into it. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. Sure. So I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I've spent most of my career working with children and families in a variety of settings. I started in a shelter and working in prevention of child abuse. But then as my kids got older and I saw people around me, I thought, you know, people need help with very everyday common parenting problems and they shouldn't have to be at risk of losing their kids to get some basic help. So I started a private practice called The Family Coach. And basically been helping people in the homes and writing about parenting ever since. Awesome. So you literally wrote the book about getting your first phone. And so, like I said, that's why I wanted to to pick your brain about this. What prompted you to write this particular book? So over the last couple of years, cell phones have become ubiquitous with kids. You know, the average age of getting a phone is really 8 to 11 So even if your kid doesn't have one till 11 or 12, their best friend on the bus has a phone. So they're everywhere. You know, the pandemic happened. So kids who usually had an hour of screen time or two hours of screen time a day now had 10, 12 hours because they were on for school, they were on for fun with socialization, and they were on for homework. And then the last thing is that, honestly, I have seen even the most conscientious parents, people who are highly involved, tech savvy fall prey to their kid being exposed to something that they didn't expect, you know, whether it was porn or they sexted or they were sexted or they Googled something that was, you know, upsetting. So there is no way parents can protect their kids anymore completely. So we have to start educating our kids like we do sex ed so that they can start making good decisions for themselves when their parents aren't around. Yeah, no, it's it's so well said. So my son is in avid screen time user. He has an iPad. He loves Roblox. He recently got back into Minecraft. He liked Minecraft. He got over it for a while and now he just got back into it. But he he's really big into Roblox and he plays it with his friends, which I want. I have a, I have a love-hate relationship with it because I hate that he's on it so much, but I love that it's collaborative and that he's building leadership skills and that he gets to play with his friends. We recently started something 
that he we have Google Voice on his iPad. So he's able to call his one friend, this one particular boy in, in particular. So they work together and they chat and, and it's really cute. It, it's like, it reminds me of like when I was a kid and I would sit on the phone with my friends at home for like hours. Like well, I would watch TV and maybe they would watch TV and we would like talk about 90210 together or something like that. So Jack and his friend, you know, play hours of Roblox on the phone together. Now, I feel like because it's a tablet and because Jack often uses it in our common areas of the house, whether it's in the living room, dining room, kitchen, we're all usually together as he's using it. I somehow feel like having a phone is a little different. Do you think that it is? I think it is and it isn't. Honestly, you know, iPads have the exact same capability and yours might be limited, but you know, a lot of parents get an iPad and they think, sure, it's not a phone, but the next thing you know, the kid's on, you know, social media. And even if your, your kid doesn't have a social media account, they can still Google and look up anything that's on Facebook, TikTok or anything. So I don't want parents to have like a false sense of safety with an iPad. However, I do think it is slightly different. It's less portable. In your case, you know, it's being used in a common room, whereas, you know, the cell phone goes off to school, it goes to friends' playdates, the iPad doesn't. It could go in the room, it could be used in private time. So I do think it is like a level up, but I do think parents should be careful with an iPad or be a little bit more mindful, mindful as well. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. Do you think that there's like a certain telltale sign of when a child is ready to get their own phone? So no, <laughs> there isn't a telltale <laughs> sign, but there, there are some like things that parents can think about. First of all, how responsible is your kid with their things? You know, this is a seven to hundred thousand dollar device that they're going to be taking with them Like how well do they care for their things? And can they show you with other things that they're going to be careful with this? How are they when you tell them to put screen time away? You know, so if you say, you know, you have until five o'clock and then we need to put it away and we're going to do homework and have dinner and they're fairly cooperative, that's a good sign. If every day is a struggle, then I wouldn't just say, well, no cell phone. I would say, this is something we need to talk about and work on. And the child might be very motivated for a cell phone in which case you can improve upon that behavior. And then the last thing is, you know, how communicative are they with you? How open are they to lessons, to sitting down and hearing your thoughts about a particular issue? And if not too interested, then you might also want to build up that kind of communication about current events, about safety, about just what's happening at school, anything so that, you know, you can continue an education with them once they do get their smartphone. So those are the kind of things. And then the last thing truly is, you know, some parents have an absolute need for their kids to have a cell phone, like whether it's they're walking home, they're home alone after school, you know, there are some younger kids, their parents are divorced that, you know, may be useful. So even if your kids are hundred percent ready, sometimes there's practical reasons where kids need a phone. Yeah, absolutely. My parents were divorced when I was very young and I'm sure that had they existed when I was young, I would have had one for that very reason. Cause I, I did watch myself after school. And so obviously my mom or whoever called my house phone when they needed me, but I was always pretty much home watching TV. The second point that you said really resonated with me because my son recently came to us and said, mom, dad, like, you know, kids at camp, cause it's summer right now, kids, kids at camp have phones and like, I'm ready. Like, when can I get a phone? And we said, you know, I'm not sure that you're really ready for a phone right now because many times when you're playing Roblox, you kind of blow through those 
boundaries that we set from a time perspective, right? You know, we said, okay, let's stop. We're going to eat dinner or let's stop. It's bath time, whatever it is. And you're blowing through that by an hour or two. We need to see that you're responsible enough to be able to put it down when you need to focus on your activities for daily living. And so it's interesting that you said that. So for like three days, and I'm not exaggerating, it was only three days after we had that conversation, my son was very good about being like, okay, I'm done now. Okay, I'm done. See, like, look, I'm ready for a phone. I'm ready for a phone. And then, you know, a few days go by and then he just went right back into it. So I think we still need to work towards that of the self-monitoring because I feel like that's sort of where we fall apart with it. You know, obviously I'm a heavy social media user. I'm on my phone a lot. My husband's on, on his computer and on his phone a lot too. But, you know, being 40-year-old people, we know how to put our phone down, maybe turn off notifications and sort of like walk away. But for my son, when he's playing Roblox, like he is in that world and it is designed and programmed to keep him in that world. And so I think that, you know, for him personally, he's not quite ready to make the jump to having a device that he could put in his pocket all the time during the day and night for that matter. Right. Well, that's me. I'm I'm definitely against it at night. But you know, the thing that's hard about Roblox, it's like leaving the playground when all your friends are still having a good time. That's a slightly different scenario that is very hard to be like, okay, everyone have a good time. I got to go now. That's really hard. I think, you know, sometimes putting in like actual alarms or actual like limitations on the device can be helpful because even like for me, I put a limitation on my Facebook and Instagram. I only get an hour a day because for me, it was just, I was blowing through my time and oh, one more thing and, or I'm just wasting time. So even I need an external device to help me. So, you know, that's something that might be too hard for a nine and a half year old whose buddies are all playing, you know, to be like, I got to go. So, you know, maybe something external could help. Yeah. Yeah. We, we recently started to use our Alexa. I don't want to say her name too loudly because then she'll turn on. <laughs> we started using that as a timer. So at seven o'clock, a timer goes off and then it's, it's helps him to be more mindful about his use. But I, I like the idea, even for you personally, you know, I find myself going down rabbit holes in TikTok and Instagram too. And then you look up and you go, God, how did 20 minutes go by? Or how did 30 minutes go by? You're like, I could have been doing so many other things. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I've, I've come to peace with it because it's not me. It's all of us because the devices and the apps are literally made to keep our attention on them. That's what the purpose is. And so I've given myself like a little bit of grace to be like, okay, don't be so hard on yourself. But like, I do need help because I don't only, I want to do it. I want to use it. I enjoy it, but I also want to make sure I have time for other things. So all of a sudden I'm like, there, there's a thing built into my phone to help me with this. I'm going to use it. And it's been great. Yeah, no, I I highly recommend that as well. So in your book, you talk about everything from social media to clickbait. You cover a lot of topics about digital use. What do you think is one of the most concerning ones that's facing our youth today? I mean, I think everybody talks about scams and predators, and I think that's important. But I think there are, for most kids, they're not going to interact with a predator. I think, but almost every single one of those kids is going to have their mental health and self-esteem affected by being on social media. And it's just also same thing. It's kind of built in, you know, we have influencers and children cannot discern an ad from just a person who's giving an honest recommendation 
everybody has taken the perfect picture. They've taken a thousand pictures and they picked the best one that makes them look the best. They're posting about fancy cars and vacations. You know, all of these things are just not everyday life. And then our adorable kids who are in puberty go and look in the mirror. And then of course, it's going to be hard for them. How are they going to compete with what's on social media, whether it's their friends or influencers or famous people? Like, we cannot compete with those images. It makes all of us feel bad, but people who are in their, you know, tweens and teens, even worse. So I think that, you know, how it's affecting our self-image, our mental health, I think is something really important that we need to talk so much more to kids about because once they can see behind the curtain, once they can see, okay, this is an influencer, like let's, let's break it down. Let's look at it carefully. Like, what is she doing? Why is she doing that? What is she selling here? And then I think that they can see it and not feel so impacted emotionally from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, obviously we grew up without social media and I was so affected, I think, by things, images we saw in TV, magazines, you know, like Teen Vogue and like the, like early magazines, like YM, that kind of stuff. Like when we were kids, like we're, we're so huge. And it, that was an issue that I thought that we were starting to put behind us for a while, you know, that for maybe like, I don't know, five or 10 years, I started feeling good. Like, oh, you know what? We're in a better way as a society that we're getting away from that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden, social media hit with influencers and all the things like you said, like the luxury lifestyles and all of that. And then it like just hit you right back in the face all over again. And so now here we are as parents having to be faced with dealing with this for our children when we had to sort of unpack it for ourselves back then. Totally. And you know what else? When we were young, we would go home after school and sure we could call friends and maybe we'd see them in the neighborhood, but we had a definite break in our social interaction. You had a magazine, but you had one magazine. You didn't have thousands and thousands and thousands of images. And our kids have no break. They have no break from their social situation and they have no break from these constant assaults. Even if it's not influencers, it's bad news. You know, it's news that's upsetting. You know, when my kids were really little, we could decide what, you know, if there was a shooting, should we tell them? How should we tell them? We had time to plan about it. We could keep the news off. It's impossible. By the time your kid comes home from school, they already know there was a school shooting and they may or may not talk to you about it. So I just feel like it's such a different era and it's, it's like a constant assault on the kids and it's not good for them. It's not good for us and it's definitely not good for kids. Yeah, no, it's true. Luckily, I, not that I want to say I shield my son, but you know, I'm very particular about when and where we do have those discussions with him because since he's not on social media per se, like I said, he's more on Roblox, like he does not see the current events the way that, you know, someone may on Twitter or on Instagram. What age do you think is an appropriate age for kids to have access to those platforms who then may happen to see whether it's the influencers or current events? The problem is, we can't really prevent our kids from seeing that stuff because even if, again, if our, everything is locked down in our house, the friend's house has an older brother. There's some older kid on the bus, some kid at camp. It's literally impossible. So I prefer more to educate kids about, you know, how to make smart decisions, how to, you know, what you're clicking on, what you're not, are you ready for something? What if you see something that's too much for you? What can you do? I'd like to say, you know, 12 and 13 are really appropriate ages, but our kids, there's, I think there's zero kids in America who don't get to social media before 12. 
I think they're all on it. You know, even if it's just TikTok, it's just watching videos. It's, I just want to watch like a cooking video or, you know, and even YouTube, there's plenty on YouTube that's disturbing that, you know, after just a couple of clicks, all of a sudden the things that are recommended for you or for your kid, it's a little off topic. It could be diet culture. It could be just a lot of things that we don't really want our kids to see. So I'd like to say later, but honestly, your kid has probably already been exposed at nine and a half. And if not, I'd say by, by the fall, you know, by 10, 11, the kids are all getting their, their phones and, and they have access. And it used to also be that you had to have an account to look into social media, but now you don't even need an account. You can just look on online and get access. This episode of Modern Mom Probs is sponsored by Sambacol. Fall is right around the corner, and you know what that means. Cooler weather, layers, and of course, the kids are heading back to school. Did you check off all the items on that never-ending back-to-school list? New clothes, notebooks, pencils, brand new backpack? The kids want it all. But have you thought about how to help keep them healthy when they're heading back to school? That's where Sambacol comes in. My son and I recently started taking Sambacol every day to help support our immune systems so we could keep doing what we need to do. Sambacol is made from premium European black elderberries, which are natural sources of powerful antioxidants and key vitamins like A, C, and E. They help support a healthy immune system and help you power through your day. What's so great about Sambacol is they have tons of different ways to help your daily helping of black elderberry, like syrups, gummies, chewable tablets, drink powders, capsules, and more. They even have products made just for kids. My husband, my son, and I all take Sambacol. We love the gummies. We eat them right after dinner, but before we start the nighttime routine, it's sort of just like a nice little treat and a nice way to end the day. So make a healthy immune system part of your back-to-school strategy this year with Sambacol. My listeners get 15% off their next order of $9.99 or more at SambacolUSA.com by using my promo code MOMPROBS15 at checkout. That's 15% off your order of $9.99 or more at SambacallUSA.com. Use code MOMPROBS15 at checkout. Okay, here's a pro tip. Save this promo code and website address in your notes app. I know you're busy. Too busy to remember a promo code or to sort through episodes to find it again. Save it and use it when you have a few minutes to shop. The code again is MOMPROBS15 and the website is SambacallUSA.com. That was totally going to be my follow-up question because I, I was going to say, well, there's a couple things. One, you know, kids may not have the capability to download the app by themselves and then log in and register as like to have a proper like username. And so I think that is definitely a barrier to entry, which is a great barrier to entry. But having said that, do you find that 13 year olds do have the capability to whether it's use their email address or and log in to create accounts to be able to watch? Oh, 13 year olds, you mean to do it themselves without their parents knowing? Yeah. 100%. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, because some of the kids have already been doing it. Some of the kids have older siblings. And so, and and that's one of the things, it's like when parents are super, super strict and they really restrict, the kids end up doing it without their parents knowing it. They hide it. They don't have it on their phones. And then we have no opportunity to even have those conversations. We think our kid is safe and 100% they're not. They're doing it on their friend's phone. They're doing it on their computer and we just don't see it. So I, I honestly think by 12, 
13, we have to start openly giving our kids some kind of social media, you know, something that parents deem is like a good entry point and then working on it with their kids. We did Instagram for my daughter and she knew I would be on her Instagram every day. And I wasn't punitive. I wasn't upset with her. If she posted something and I thought, you know, it could be used in a, in a way she wasn't intending, I would talk to her about it. If she, sometimes she would write a comment that didn't come, you know, doesn't read right. I know what she meant, but it doesn't read right. And her friend could be upset. We talked about how it feels when you get no likes and shares. So if you don't allow your kids to have any of those things, you can't really have those meaningful discussions. So I do think, you know, come come 12, it's a great time to start with one social media where the parent is highly involved. And then by the time the kid is 15, 16, you know, we're on to less monitoring and more just like regular conversations. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You know, it's funny. My son also loves YouTube. There are two things that he loves. His two loves of his life are Roblox and YouTube. Many times he is watching things about Roblox on YouTube, right? Or or Minecraft on YouTube. He also likes to watch what I'm using this in quotes you can't see or clean memes. So it's essentially like TikTok compilations on YouTube. And so that's a very popular thing. And so I think that's his first introduction to social media without really realizing that it is, in fact, social media. You know, it's just short, you know, whether it's 10 second clips of dogs doing silly things or whatever, but you don't know necessarily what's going to pop up as in the next video of these compilations. We do, like I said, I, I do try to make sure that they say the word clean in them or, or some, you know, some sort of parental control. But that is something that is very popular because I know that he often chats with his friends about like, oh, did you see this video of X, Y, and Z? And so although they're not on TikTok properly, they're still seeing those TikToks on YouTube. And it's also how they socialize, just like what you said. Their friends are talking about it. Like for years, I, I mean, my kids are a little bit older, but we were having like no video games in the house. And then it was all the kids were talking about them. And I'm thinking, I'm actually disadvantaging my son socially because I'm so strict about no video games. And so we gave in to what was appropriate for us in our house. But, you know, I think it's important. This is the stuff the kids are doing. This is the stuff the kids are talking about. I don't think that parents always have to do what every parent is doing. But I think kids can struggle socially when they aren't able to do some of the basic things that their friends are doing. And, you know, some of those clean videos, it's a great introduction. But even YouTube is a social media. And if your kid is on YouTube, that's a great introduction to likes and shares and comments, you know, looking through some of the comments, look at how many mean comments there are. Like, what's, what's that about, do you think, you know, and just even having open discussions before they get their phone. That's like a great way to get it started that they're like using their thinking cap to just at least, you know, analyze a little bit about what is this all about? It's not just about this adorable dog video, which, you know, we all get succumbed to. It is, (laughs) which everybody loves an adorable dog video. Yeah. I mean, come on. I mean, I'm promoting my book. I literally stick my book in like my dog in every other picture of my book because I mean, who doesn't like a dog? Everybody loves a cute dog. Yeah. So while you were writing this book, obviously you did a lot of research because it's so well written and you have so many fantastic topics. Was there anything in particular that you found really surprising? I think the thing I found most surprising was that anywhere from about 70 to 80% of kids sleep with their phones and 30% sleep with them on their pillows. So nearly every kid 
has their phone in their room. Maybe not when they're eight or nine, but pretty quickly they're in their rooms. And that actually shocked me. That's like one of the actual cardinal rules, super strict in my house. So for me, that was really important to me. And I I thought many other parents did that. So it was a little bit shocking for me to learn how many kids are sleeping with them. And for me, you know, as a social worker and a person who really loves research, I am very in tune with what happens to kids when they don't get enough sleep. So forget about the cell phone. It's not the cell phone that's necessarily causing the problems, but the cell phone is interrupting their sleep. They're, they're getting notifications all night long. I promise nothing good is happening at three in the morning with your kid on their cell phone. You know, more riskier behavior happens, but they're sleeping a lot less because they're, they're up late, they're interrupted. And when they sleep less, we know that that Im- impacts depression, anxiety, it lowers their ability to function in school, memory, their grades go down. So like we know a long history of research about losing sleep. So I was very shocked to hear the percentage of that. And that was very important to me to have in the book um, to advise kids and parents. And a lot of parents say, well, oh no, we already have everyone with their phones in their room. I guess we missed the boat. And I think, no, you didn't. Like it's never too late. You are still the parent. You probably still pay for that phone and you could make some changes to, you know, at any point to whatever the system is, you can still make a change at any point to say like, you know what, we've gone too far with screen time, or we've, you know, laxed on where you use your iPad, or we let you sleep within your room, and we buy you a brand new alarm clock, like it's no longer happening. So we can make a change. So I think that was very surprising to me and, you know, kind of put me on a mission. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I am floored at that statistic. And also like actively I'm, I'm taking notes so that I know for, <laughs> for my own son. Yeah, I, I'm floored that 70 to 80%. That is wild. So let's talk about self-care because I, I think that really dovetails nicely. How can both children and adults practice self-care while we are so immersed in this media consumption? I think, you know, the first thing is to realize that our phones make us feel a certain kind of way. You know, there, it could be social media, it could be the constant barrage of notifications, just even about email and texting. Sometimes I'm trying to work and my texting is going off and it's just like, I can't get anything done. It's stressing me out. Sometimes I have FOMO. Sometimes I see other people doing things that I wish I was doing, or their book is doing better than mine, or whatever it is, they have more followers. I mean, so stupid, but we all feel things by using our phone. So I think it's it's super important to just recognize that. And then once we realize that happens, then we can say in the moment, oh, this is starting to make me feel not good. I need to put my phone away or I need to do something else or I need to unfollow someone that triggers me. So I think just first recognizing that we have feelings and they are often negatively produced from our phone and our social media that can help us disconnect when we start to feel those things. And then I think, you know, I have a list in the book about like self-care options for kids. And it was very funny. My best friend read the the book early and I put on there like, what is self-care and what isn't? One thing I said that isn't is shopping. And she was like, I think you have a typo. And it was just very funny because she was like, shopping is my self-care. You know, I think it's important for everyone to kind of think about, okay, what is it for you that helps you disconnect? that helps you get back out in the world, that helps you connect with other people or with nature or with art or something that makes you feel good. And that's different for everyone. So for my friend, it's shopping. But for me, it's being outside, being with friends, having a coffee, you know, things like that. So we talk about that a lot for adults, especially moms. That's been in the vernacular for a while. But I don't think we talk about that at all for kids. We don't think about the stressors that they're under. 
And kids are very, very stressed and they have all kinds of feelings. And the, the amount of depression and anxiety is on the rise in such a disturbing way that I feel so strongly that we have to start talking to kids about self-care in general, what that means, how do they do it, and then also how it relates to their phones. Yeah. And do you think that because those rates are going up, similarly to how screen time use is going up, do you think that they are inherently related? Yeah. I mean, so we have for sure correlation that when the amount of smartphones started getting in the hands of kids, that the amount of depression and anxiety was skyrocketing. Like we know that we don't have causation. I think there are a lot of factors that happen, but I have no doubt that all the things that are happening on our phones are contributing to our kids' mental health decline. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree 100%. And I've spoken with several experts, and I even had the privilege not too long ago to be in the audience of a seminar where the, the whistleblower from Facebook spoke, and she said all of that, and she did a fantastic job breaking that down. And, and it was one of those conversations where you literally have chills because you think we have to do something to protect these children. That's Frances Haugen, and I also saw her and had the exact same feeling. <laughs> she was incredible. Frances was, was incredible. So what tips, now I'm looking to you as an expert, mm-hmm. what tips can you provide for parents of children who may be getting their first phone? So I'd say two things. One is create an environment where communication about interesting topics is normal. Like use dinner time, use car time, use whatever bedtime, whatever time you have that you're really connecting with your kids, just to talk about topics of interest, anything, because then it becomes very normal for us to have in-depth conversations about something besides what we did today. And that's going to be really important moving forward because these are very complex devices. They change, new problems come up, and we want to be able to have continuing digital education. And it shouldn't just be like, you get your phone, here's the book, here's the contract, and then we're good. It should be, this is lifelong for all of us. So we want to create that environment. And then, you know, this is a very tough one for parents, but we need to model the behavior we want to see in our kids. And it just doesn't work to say, you know, do as I say, not as I do. We are scrolling and giving our kids half of our attention they're going to do the same and that's going to drive us crazy. Like we're not actually teaching them good manners, good etiquette. When is a good time to use your phone? There's a time and place. I love my phone, but you know, in the, the movie theater isn't the best place or when a dear family friend is visiting might not be, or when there's a play date might not be a good time for you to be on your phone. But we do this. We have terrible behaviors as adults, myself included. So I think it's important to decide at least a couple of things that are important to you that you want your kid to kind of get and then model that behavior of putting your phone down at meals or not sleeping with your phone, things like that. Yeah. I, I think modeling really is is so important because just as we model, let's say, kindness or social justice with our children, we also need to model digital etiquette. And yeah. So it's it's very subtle, but I think it's important. Catherine, I loved your book. And when I received it in the mail, I gave it to my son, Jack, 
as soon as I unpacked it, I flipped through it and I said, hey, buddy, I have something for you. Can you sit down and read this? And he read it cover to cover in one sitting. He also loved that one of the main characters was named Jack so that he also related and they have similar interests. Now, obviously, you wrote the book, so you know what that Jack is interested in. And like I said, it dovetails nicely into what my Jack is interested in. So he read it cover to cover. He gave it two thumbs up. I think I may have to give it to him maybe every three months just to refresh his memory. And I'll definitely give it to him again when he is ready for his first phone, which is not yet because he has not proven the responsibility with monitoring his own screen time. But Catherine, tell everyone where we can find you and where we can get your book. Sure. So the book is available wherever books are sold. And you can find me at thefamilycoach.com and on Facebook and Twitter at The Family Coach. Excellent. Catherine Perlman, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much. This was really fun. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Modern Mom Probs. I hope you enjoyed our deep dive in today's problem with me, your host, Tara Clark. Join me next time when I'll be interviewing another great guest and tackling another modern mom problem. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and a rating. As always, you could head over to Modern Mom Probs on Instagram and give me a follow or check out my book, Modern Mom Probs, A Survival Guide for 21st Century Mothers, available online wherever books are sold. Well, that's it for today. See you next time, folks.